All right, so as the offering plates are making their way around, guys, this is it. Today is the day, isn't it? And I don't, I don't mean football. Like, I really don't care. Like, because Tom Brady's back in it, so I, I don't even care about it. But, no, I mean, this is it. This is the last week of our sermon series, Reconciled. And if you are joining us for the first time, this is... Uh, this has been a, an incredible series over the past three or four weeks where we've been going deep into the book of Philemon. In fact, take your Bibles and open up there now, the New Testament book of Philemon. Go ahead and start turning there. As you're turning there, I got to let you know, like the heart of this whole series really reminds me of a story that I experienced growing up. I know this is going to shock some of y'all who are new with us, but I'm not originally from Michigan, y'all. Like I'm... I know I tricked you, didn't I? Like, you're going, I didn't even know. He barely has an accent at all. Like, it's almost gone. But I know I've been working hard to get it out of my system, so I just sound like all the other Michiganders. And I think I'm pretty much there. Like, I think I've got... Anyway, I grew up in Oklahoma. Uh, from about the age of five on, I grew up in Oklahoma. And the town I graduated from is Inola, Oklahoma. And in Inola, there's a lot of fields, like football fields, hay fields, cow fields. Like there's just, I didn't have a field. I had a yard, just like a normal house, normal yard. But my friends, I had a lot of friends with some fields. So one particular friend, I went over to his house after school and we'd ask his dad, like, can we go out and play around the pond? Because it was like, Nola, that's what you do. You play around the pond. Like there's nothing else. I don't know what we were going to do. Like throw rocks in the pond, throw each other in the pond. We hadn't decided that, but we're like, can we go play in the pond? His dad's like, no, that's cool. Just what you need to do is you need to go on down the fence line because the he didn't have like a lot of land. It was like 15 acres, 10 acres. I don't know. He had some land, not lots of land, but some land. And the pond was like in the back corner. And his dad was like, yeah, but you're going to have to follow the fence line all. And the fence kind of did this thing, you know, where it kind of goes, the property goes back into a corner. So he said, you're going to have to follow the fence line that way and then follow the fence line. And I don't want you to cross that fence until you're up by the pond. But yeah, it's fine with me if you guys go hang out. And the fence wasn't like chain link, like chain link is what I had in my backyard. And uh, back in the, you can just hop over it, right? Like if the ball goes in the neighbor's yard, you just hop the chain link fence. I can't do that anymore, I'm pretty sure. Like it wouldn't look pretty if I tried to just hop the chain link fence. But back then, like I just hop right over it. But barbed wire is what this guy had. Do they, do they have barbed wire image? I don't know if they have. All right. So y'all look at me like I'm ridiculous, but Ninola, barbed wire was everywhere. And I don't see barbed wire everywhere. Like, I'll drive down the road, and y'all have, like, normal fences. Like, normal. So barbed wire was the thing in Oklahoma. For those of you who are, like, city folk, and you don't know what barbed wire is, let me explain how it works. You don't hop a barbed wire fence. You don't, that, that would hurt. Like, what you do, you put your foot on the bottom wire, because it's like a wire with barbs on it, Right? which means there's a gap, like there's a barb here and a barb here with a gap in between where it's just wire. So you step on that part of the, don't step on the barb, step on the wire, and then the next wire up, you grab a hold of the wire and you lift up like this. And when you do that, and the dad would get mad if he ever saw you do that. But then let your friend like shimmy right through, and then you just slickery right through, and then you're both through the barbed wire. Like that's how it works, right? That's how you do Barbed wire. So anyway, I don't know whose idea it was, but some, probably his idea. I'm going to blame it on him. He's like, Billy, that's going to be twice as far to go all the way around the fence. I think we should just slip through right here. I'm sure it was his idea. And um, 
He's like, because the pond's just right there. You know, it's going to save so much time if we just sneak right through the front fence right here. And, I, you know, I just let him convince me. And I'm like, no, that, at least that's the way the story's going to go this morning since he's not here. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll hold the fence for you. You hold the fence for me. And I'm going to come back to that story. But it's interesting that the dad, it wasn't just sharing his wisdom. Like sometimes I think we look at it like that. Dad tried to share his wisdom, and we just didn't want that wisdom. No, he gave us a command. Like he flat out told us what we were to do and were not to do, and we went with what he said not to do. And I'm, I'm going to come back to that because it's going to make sense. First, I want to get back to the series. If you were with us, uh, what, three or four weeks ago, we started this series by talking about a guy named Pliny the Younger. And if you missed that week, Pliny the Younger was this Roman senator who wrote a letter to a friend of his on behalf of a third party. And the world at that time, the world at that time was a very selfish world. It was a world dominated by anger and fear and shame and selfishness. Very different than the world Paul wrote about. Paul also wrote a letter. Very similar in the time frame. Paul's letter was done through the filter of a follower of Jesus. And when you send it through the lens of Jesus, it changes everything. Paul's letter talked about a world of sacred fellowship. It's a world in which the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus marked people in a way where we were called to be people of peace. People who selflessly loved. And then we started to wrestle with this question. Which worldview do you most identify with? That was the question week one. Which worldview do you most identify with? And I think almost everyone here, our answer would be, well, both, right? I, I kind of get both. I understand both. I know what it is to live a very selfish life, and, and I know life from a selfless point of view, a follower of Jesus. I know, do you remember, do you remember before you were a Christian, do you remember that before you were a follower? Maybe, just maybe, you were going through life and you saw this world ruled by, by anger and by not trusting and just, just this, this mess of a world. And all of a sudden, someone started to enter your life. And maybe that person started to tell you about Jesus and the redemption that you can have in Jesus. And maybe that person took you to church. And then all of a sudden, your eyes started to be opened in a whole new way. And it started to change everything for you. My friends, that's the story of a guy named Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave, a former slave. And he met this guy named Paul who was in prison. He was in jail. And even though he was in jail, Onesimus had never seen a man with so much freedom in his life. Right? Onesimus was this guy with no advocate, with no laws to support him. He had nothing. And that's where Paul led him to faith in Christ. Paul became like this spiritual father to Onesimus. And so Paul said, I want to do something for you. I want to write a letter to my friend Philemon. And I'm going to do it on your behalf. So this whole book of Philemon, it's really a letter from Paul to his friend Philemon on behalf of his former slave, Onesimus. And that brings us to our big idea today. The big idea is that the Christian life is personal, but it's not private. The Christian life is personal, but it's not private. Now, let me just say, I know I'm, I'm kind of talking to the choir a little bit because you're here on Sunday morning, like you're here. But I just want you to know that I've heard people say, and you've probably heard people say, I'm a Christian but I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And I'm saying this just in case you ever think about saying this. 
people who say, I'm a Christian, but I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And I know I'm preaching the choir, but I'm a Christian. I don't have to go to church. Can I tell you, I'm a pastor, and I've looked for that verse, and it's not in there. I've looked. Guys, it's really not in there, and I'm not making fun. It's just not in there. But we are called again and again and again to do this Christian faith, to do our Christian walk in community. We're called constantly to do it in community. So how do we do that? How are we called as a church to do this whole faith thing in community? Well, three ways we're going to look at it today. The first is you have to see the church as a family. You've got to see this as a family. Let's look starting in verse 1. I'm so excited to share this. Verse number 1 says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ, and Timothy. So Paul's there with Timothy. And Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. I would underline that as we're going our fellow worker, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I understand that today as I'm talking to the church, uh, we already did this once, and so there was a, a big group in here for the first service, and now we have a big group here. And those of you downstairs, thank you for being downstairs. I hear that the overflow room is overflowing, and so there's a big group of you there, and you're the church, and then in the next service, there's going to be another service, and that's going to be the church, and so when I talk to the church, it means something different than what it means for Paul and for Philemon, and we're going to get into that in just a second, but notice that we look at this on first glance, and we think that we're reading something that's just very personal between the two of them, but then as you read and you think about what you just read, this is not just between the two of them, is it? It's not between the two of them at all. Did you notice that Paul said, first of all, he said, hey, Timothy's here with me. Well, there it goes. It's not just between the two of them, is it? And then what did he say? He said, oh, also, I want to say hi to Aphia and Archippus. Like, I want to say hi to, and if you're going, well, who are they? Some historians think that might be Philemon's wife and son, but we don't really know for sure. We don't have evidence that's strong enough to support either view but we do know that this letter, let me go slow right here. We know that this letter was intended to be read out loud. Now think about it. It's a letter to Philemon. It's a letter written to Philemon about something very personal, very personal between him and Onesimus. And yet this letter was intended to be read out loud. How do we know? Well, because he also greets the church in this letter. He also, right there, right? He just greeted the church. Isn't that awesome? Okay, let me give you more evidence, because maybe you're going, I'm not convinced yet. And so skip down to verse 22. Let's go to the end, because this is, Onesimus is on the way to be part of this church. Look at verse 22. It says, at the same time, this is near the end of the letter, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will graciously be given to you. Um, Aparphus, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. As so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So Paul tells Philemon, hey, I want you to prepare a guest room for me. Now from verses 4 to about 20, anytime you see you, it's singular in nature. I'm going to get real nerdy, so stay with me. It gets singular in nature. Singular meaning single, meaning one. If you're not an English person, it means one, singular. So when he uses the pronoun you, he's like, it'd be like if I said, I want you, right? It's personal, it's direct 
to someone. But then he shifts gears. In verse 22, do you see your prayers given to you? In the Greek, it's almost like he's speaking Oki right here. If I was speaking Oki, I would say, okay, I got something I need to say to all y'all. And all y'all watching downstairs, like all y'all. Did you see that? See, and you're tracking. Like even though you're from Michigan, not Oklahoma, you're going, no, I understand all y'all. Like I get that. And my ears sometimes have to loosen up to what you're saying because you talk funny, but I get it, you know, and that's what Paul's saying right here. When Paul uses you and your in verse 22, he's speaking to the whole church. And we know that because the verb tense is not singular, it's plural. Isn't that incredible? So the church would have been listening and, and would have had no problem tracking going, this part of the letter is for Philemon, this part of the letter is for us. Oh, this is for Philemon, and this is for us. Because then he switches back, and he starts talking directly to Philemon again. And then verse 23, he mentions this group, and as he's mentioning this group in verses 23 and 24, he's directly to Philemon. Verse 25, he's back to the church with your spirit. Your spirit is plural there. And so it's this ping-pong match. It's back and forth, back and forth. I'm talking to the church. I'm talking to Philemon. I'm talking to the church. I'm talking to Philemon. So think about this. This letter is written to not just Philemon, but to a church. And notice who it's from. We always say it's from Paul, but it's from more than that, isn't it? Here's why I say that. Look at verse one again. In verse one, he mentions that Timothy is right there with him. Do you see that? Timothy is right here with me. And then when you look at verses 23 and 24, he mentions five others who are with him. So there's him plus six. They got seven total. So he's basically saying, okay, from this church here, we're writing a letter to Philemon and to the church there. We're going to just provide a lot of transparency and openness in this conversation. And then he says that uh, he uses the word fellow worker, and he uses a fellow work, uh, the word fellow worker with Philemon in verse 1. Do you see that? I told you to underline it earlier. When Paul uses fellow worker, here's what he's saying. He's saying, here's some guys who have ministry scars with me. You have people like that in your life? Like people that you're like, I look at my fingernails and the same dirt I have under my fingernails, they have under their fingernails. Like we've been through the muck together. We've been through the mess together. Like, we've been through some life stuff. Me and them, like, we have gone through the battles. Like, so we look in each other's eyes, and we know Paul is like Philemon. You know you're one of us, and the workers are here. It's his way of saying, listen, you, you can do this. You're going to keep going. And, and he does this in a very public way. You see, a very public way. Your faith is personal. It's never private. How's that sound to you? You like that? See, here's what I think. I think sometimes we listen in the Bible and we go, man, community is great. 2,000 years ago, like that was so good. I am so glad that Paul challenged Philemon, aired his dirty laundry for everybody to see. Like everybody was there and part of the conversation. Accountability is so good for Paul and for Philemon. And then I think we push back and we say, yeah, I don't know if I want people getting into my stuff in my business though. I don't know if I want to be open like that with what's going on in my marriage, with what's going on in my business, with what's going on in my health. I, I don't know if I want to expose my heart quite like that. But Paul understood this. He understood that a grief shared is divided, that a joy shared is multiplied. Paul understood that. A grief shared is divided. You, you know that's true, right? 
If you're going through something, have you ever had something you're going through and it's heavy and you share it with others? All of a sudden, the burden's not quite so heavy, is it? Or have you ever had um, something like someone, someone's born, like a new baby is born or you have a wedding and you invite other people into that story? That celebration, oh my goodness, the, the joy is just amplified, isn't it? It is magnified in that moment. For those of you who have been following CT and Meg's journey through the adoption process, oh my goodness, it's been awesome, hasn't it? For those of you who are new, the guy who used to be our uh, student pastor is now the campus pastor at Lapeer, and they just adopted a little baby girl from China, and they've been working this past week to try to get on an airplane and get home. It sounds like the plane ride was kind of a long ride. But how beautiful that every single step along the way, they're posting photos, and we as a church, we've just been celebrating it with them, haven't we? Like the number of likes, the number of comments has been phenomenal. So we know a joy shared is multiplied. This is not a place where we are called to come in and out of a worship center on Sunday mornings only. We are called to be a family. We're called to do this together, which brings up our second point. How do we live out the community nature of the Christian faith? Number two, we pray for the good of others. Well, that's novel, isn't it? You come into church and you're told to pray, you know? So anyway, let's look at how Paul says this. In verse four, he says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. I pray that the sharing, we've talked about this, sharing doesn't mean to tell people about Jesus. It's what we do. It's where we celebrate together. It's where we hurt together. It's this kind of a sharing where the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So there are there's stages of maturity for a Christian, which makes sense, right? If you watch a person chronologically, there's stages of maturity in just a person's life. A four-year-old does not respond the same as a 14-year-old which is not the same as a 34-year-old, which is not the same as a 74-year-old. Hopefully, as your life stage increases, you have a different level of maturity in in dealing with different stresses in life, right? We're supposed to grow. It's the same in your Christian walk. How do you know? How do you know that you're maturing in your faith? Well, one way you know is all of a sudden the, the thoughts that you have are not all focused on yourself. It's focused on others. How do you know your thoughts are fo- your prayer life? Your prayer life will show you when all of a sudden your prayer life shifts from me, mine, help me, bless me, protect me, to Lord, I'm just broken for those around me, and you start to pray for those around you. That's when you start to see those signs of maturity in your, in your Christian walk. We see that all the time in Paul. Paul is constantly throughout the New Testament praying for brothers and sisters in Christ who are spread all over the place. And in this case, we see just an incredible example of it. Imagine. Imagine for a moment. Because what Paul does, Paul prays. He says he's going to pray, and then he says specifically what he prays. Imagine for a moment that you had cancer, and the cancer's wrapped around your spine. And you just found out two weeks ago. Right, you just found out two weeks ago you have cancer, it's wrapped around your spine, and it's not good. Like it it's killing you, right? It's literally killing you. And you woke up today and your neck, your neck hurt something fierce. Your back, your back was in pain. You felt pretty hopeless. You felt pretty alone. 
felt pretty beat up? That's the scenario. That's scenario one. Scenario two, the exact same situation, only this time as you get up out of bed, you look at your phone and you've got a text or you've got a, a voicemail or you've got a phone call that comes in, whatever, and it's just someone saying, hey, I, I love you and you're not alone and I'm praying, I'm praying for you right now. Do you hear the difference that makes? Just, now let's go the extra step. Let's say that hey, you wake up and you read this message, I woke up feeling burdened for you. And it's got a little sad emoji, because if you put a sad emoji, that always helps, you know, so they can feel the emotion, because text is messy. I woke up feeling burdened for you with a, an emoji sad face. I couldn't stop thinking about what you're going through. You've been in my prayers all morning. I'm praying that God would comfort you, that his healing hand would kill every cancer cell in your body, that you would realize that you're not alone in this. We are standing with you. I love you. Do you hear the difference? After the first service, a guy grabbed me in the lobby and he said, hey, pastor, that's the journey I'm going through right now. We moved here from New York and the church has been doing exactly that. I know exactly what that feels like. That's what we're called to. We're not called to this place of I'm going to separate and pull myself apart and keep this story all to myself. We're, care, we're called to share these burdens and to be in prayer for one another. And by the way, if someone sends you a message when you're going through something and that's what they say, that's the church messaging you. The church is not Pastor Doug. The church is not Pastor Chris. The church is not me. We're part of the church, but so are you. You're the church. Like we together, collectively, we are the church, and you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility for the people sitting to your left and your right. You have a responsibility for the people in your group. This is why it is so important. We talk all the time about being in a group. This is why. This is where this kind of life happens. It doesn't happen in this setting. This is where I just talk, right? This is where we worship together. We get a snapshot of the throne room of grace. That's what happens in here. But this kind of life, this happens in groups. This happens relationally. Look how Paul does it. In verse 5, he just starts out by telling Philemon how thankful he is. He said, because I hear of your love and the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. But then he tells him that he's praying for him. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that's in us for the sake of Christ. See, he told him exactly what he's praying. Here's what he said. He said, I, I just want to pray that the sacred fellowship, Philemon, that you and I share, the sacred fellowship, is going to move you to be effective in your faith. And here's what effectiveness looks like. You relationally have a divide between you and Onesimus, who's now a brother in Christ. My prayer is that your faith is going to be effective because of the sacred fellowship we have. I want to see that mended. That's what I'm praying. Do you hear that? Church, that's awesome. That is so cool. And what I love about Paul, Paul doesn't just sit up here and say, well, I'm only saying this because I'm in such a good spot and uh, I'm just encouraging everybody because I'm awesome, because I'm Paul. He doesn't do that. Look what he says the very next thing in verse 23. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I'm hoping that through, listen, through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Prepare a room for me because my hope, my hope is that you'll be in prayer for me. Because we believe there's power in prayer. So I'm asking you, would you be in prayer for me? Because I need it right now. I'm in need of prayer. Why is this so hard for us? It is, isn't it? 
Like, this is hard for us. You know what I think? I think we like to grit our teeth. And we just like to say, I'm just going to man up. I'm just going to work through it. I'm going to just ball up my fist, and I'm just going to keep walking, and I'm just going to, I'm, I ain't going to tell anybody. I don't want to be a burden on anybody. I'm just, I think that's what we do. Maybe you don't get so Oklahoma about it, but, that, you know, that's, that's what we do. But, you know, the same thing is, I, I, I think what we'll do is we'll look at other people, and we're very quick to pray for them, aren't we? If someone else is hurting, if someone else is having struggles, we're very quick to pray for them. We're very quick to encourage them. Of all the churches I've ever been a part of, I just want you to know, this is probably the nicest church I've ever been a part of, ever. And I'm being very serious. Like, this is the nicest group of people I've ever been around. I don't even live close, but you know what I think? I think today, if I called any of you, I could be wrong, but I think if I called any of you, And it wasn't too close to the Super Bowl if I called you and said, hey, I am in desperate need of help. And it's probably only going to take 10 minutes, but I, I need you, and you're the only one that can help me. Will, will you come? Will you be there? I really think any of you would be, you'd be like, yeah, I'm there, Pastor. Like I'm, and you'd do it for each other. Like if anyone ever called you and said, hey, I really need you. Can you come help? You'd be there in a second. But I also think, unfortunately, I think we're very slow to do the opposite and ask for help. Let me, let me change that. I didn't say this in the first service, but here's the truth. I'm slow to do that. I think if, if there's something I struggle with, if I'm slow, then I think maybe you might have some of the same struggles sometimes. Why is that? Why do we struggle? It is pride. Yeah, it's pride. I don't want anyone to know I'm struggling. And yet the calling that we see this so crystal clear in Scripture is for us to live the life of the Christian that we're called to. It's personal, but it's not private. We are supposed to do this in community. Guys, join a group. I don't know how to say it strong enough. If you're not part of a group, join a group. You have to be part of it so that we can do family life together. The third and final point this morning is you have to dare to do dangerous work together. Dare to do dangerous work together. We're going to Ecuador. If you did not know, once every two years, uh, Woodside gives me the opportunity to lead an international mission trip. And so this is my year. In September, we're going to Ecuador. And there's a reason every two years. Well, because I should be much more involved in my state and local area in mission, uh, right with my neighbor than I am internationally. Amen? Like, I should be involved every day right here in my own community. We have a lot of needs. I should be involved right here. But once every two years, I get to get on an airplane and go. And uh, I'm just going to tell you, I need you to sign up. I need you to sign up. Right now, we have people from the Troy campus signed up, but we don't have Romeo people flooding. I want the opportunity to go do dangerous stuff with you guys. I haven't seen the itinerary yet. I don't know. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, we're in a city area, but there's rainforest there, guys. The snakes get big in the rainforest, and I've been talking to Patty, who grew up there a little bit, and I'm like, Patty, you've got to work it out. I want to go to the rainforest. Like, we've got to make this happen. Things that can eat me, I want to go there. I want to see that. So sign up. It's going to be amazing. We're going to have so much fun. Um, I'm being very serious. So you do that. You can either talk to someone at the Next Steps desk, or if you go online and go to the Life Impact page. Life Impact is missions. So if you go to the Life Impact page, there's going to be, just type in Woodside Bible Church, if you want to Google it, Woodside Bible Church, Ecuador Mission Trip, can't miss it then. You can go on there, and you can sign up, and go with me, and we'll see if we can find big snakes and stuff. It's going to be so fun. Anyway, look at, look at what Scripture says. Philemon, um, starting in verse 23. 
Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, as so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So Epaphras, he uses the, the word, my fellow prisoner. What we don't know, we don't know, is he a prisoner right now with Paul? Or did he used to be a prisoner? We're not sure. Like, it's, it's one of the two. It's one of the two. But what we do know in the first century, this is before the major spread of Christianity. What we know is in the first century, if you just spoke the name Jesus, it could end up putting you in jail. Because it was so upside down from everything that culture was saying in that day. This selfless, grace-filled, justice-filled life was so opposite of what the world was teaching. Just saying the name of Jesus could end up having you thrown in jail. And that's why so many in the early church, including Paul, they spent a lot of time in jail, right? They just constantly found themselves in jail. Now think about this. If they had kept their faith private, they would have been free, right? Or, or would, they have, would they have been free? I think maybe, maybe what we look at freedom isn't free at all. And I think sometimes that's why we don't say things about Jesus because we think, well, it's going to be a, a private thing. And, and that's the place where we think we find freedom. But I think the whole time it just eats at us. I don't think there's any way Paul could have stayed quiet about his faith in Jesus. I don't think he could help but to speak about what he had seen and heard and experienced. Somewhere in the last 2,000 years, there was a man who saw another man and he had compassion on him. And he could not help but to go to him and say, let me tell you about faith in Jesus because this is going to change everything for you. Somewhere in history over the past 2,000 years, there was a woman and she saw another woman going through the unimaginable And she went to her, and she shared the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus with her. And her life was surrendered to Christ, and it was changed. My friends, it is that way that the gospel has been forcefully advancing. It is that way that you and I, that we heard the gospel for our own ears. We have a calling to go and to make disciples. We don't get the option of silence. Your faith is personal. It's not private. It's never private, and we are supposed to do this in community. Do you know why we do it in community? We do it in community so that there's someone in your ear telling you to keep going. There's someone in your ear saying, no, you shouldn't stop volunteering. You need to keep going. There's someone in your ear saying, no, don't you dare give up on that marriage. Don't you dare stop. You keep persevering. You keep pressing forward. There's someone in your ear saying, love your neighbor. Yeah, that's not an option. Even the knucklehead neighbors, you got to keep going. Like, you got to keep loving them. You don't, you don't get to say, except that one. You don't get that option. We have to keep pressing forward. And I want you to see the foundation where this comes from. Paul mentions all these names of all these people who are over there and over here and all over the place. But notice the foundation of where he goes to again and again from verse number one to the very last verse. And as, as I read the name of Jesus in all these verses, I just want you to follow and just keep underlining Jesus every time we see him. Look at verse one. Paul a prisoner for Christ Jesus. There it is. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 5, I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus. Verse 6, every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Verse 8, I am bold enough in Christ. Verse 9, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. Verse 16, a beloved brother both in flesh and in the Lord, verse 20, 
Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you. In the Lord, refresh my heart in Christ. Verse 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. See, it's impossible for Paul to go more than a few little sentences, a few statements without coming back to the foundation of Jesus. It is the name of Jesus that he was a prisoner and in chains at the very writing of this letter, gladly in chains for the sake of Jesus. Paul does an amazing job of showing how Jesus doesn't provide shortcuts to our faith, does he? Jesus provides very firm boundaries for how we're supposed to operate in our faith. I want to go back to that story I started with at the beginning with the fence. Remember that, the fence? So my buddy, in this version of the story, my buddy talked me into crossing over where his dad said, don't cross over. We were supposed to go all the way that way and then all the way that way to get to a pond that's right over there. And so we, I'd held the fence, he held the fence. And so we, we were working our way through and, and I don't know, about halfway to the pond or so, I looked up and just kind of froze. Like, have you ever had that feeling in the pit of your stomach like this isn't good? I had that feeling because when I looked up, I saw a Brahma bull. Do you know what a Brahma bull is? Looks a lot like this. Here's a picture. And um, these are the ones you see throwing clowns around at the rodeos. And they had this neck skin that, that wobbles around like this. And they got this warbly thing up on top, which really makes them look mean. And really, Brahma bulls, they have kind of one of two different personalities. Either they're very docile, very, uh, just very nice and chill. You know, like in, in um, Fort Worth, downtown in the stockyards, there's a guy who will ride his Brahma bull around like it's a pony. You know, and there's another one who will ride a longhorn around like it's, a, like it's, anyway, it's weird. So they'll ride these cows. But then the other personality is an ornery or ornery personality, right? Mean, like mean. And so this one was the latter. And so he was, he was watching us because I just stopped and I looked over at him and he's kind of got his head turned looking at me like, what are you doing in my field? And then, you know, the hoof thing like in the cartoons, they do that in real life, just so you know. And after he did the foot thing, <laughs> I don't remember a lot after that because I ran as fast as I've ever run in my life. Like, I was out, and I'm sure somewhere in my head I thought, if I, if I outrun him, I've got a chance. You know, that's all I got to do. I got to outrun Mikey. I should be okay. And so I was running, he was running, and we got to the fence, and there was none of this, let me stop and hold the barbed wire. No, we both like supermaned over the top, and uh, we both survived, you know, and so we're, clearly I'm here. So we, um, we just laid there, and it was years later that here's what hit me, the connection to today's conversation what hit me was that that very fence that I had viewed as an obstacle to my fun, the whole time it was there to protect me. The whole time it was there for my benefit. It, it was never meant as an obstacle. And I think sometimes we look at the Lord and we look at his ways and we think to ourselves it's an obstacle. We think it's an obstacle to how we want to do life. And in this case, I think sometimes we think, Lord, that fence is there as an obstacle to letting me just go through life privately. I don't know if I want to be involved in community. I don't know if I want to open up my heart like that. And yet the whole time, those boundaries are there for our protection, church. It's there for your well-being. It's there for my well-being. So here's my encouragement to you. Don't stop. Don't quit. Don't give up. I know sometimes it's hard. In my group, 
poor Bryony has to kick us out every time because we're the group that won't ever leave. You know, we're, we're that group of people. And um, he just, he, he puts up with us. He's very patient in how he works with us. I want to encourage you to keep praying for each other. But don't just pray for each other in your groups or for each other in here. But why don't you let them know that you're praying for them? And why don't you let them know specifically how you're praying for them? And it might feel a little funny at first. Keep going. Keep going. Pray for those around you. Let them know you're praying. Let them know specifically what you're praying. Because in this place, we're called to be a family. And we don't be a family just by coming and being spectators together. That's not how we do family. It's when we roll up our sleeves and do some dangerous work together. It's when we minister together. It's when we look at each other and we know that we're all fellow workers together. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for the high calling that you give us in Scripture. The calling to have a very personal faith, but not a private faith. So, Lord, I pray for those that have been coming maybe for a long time to this place. And they're not involved in community. There's hurts there. There's hang-ups there. And they haven't dealt with it because, Lord, they're trying to do ministry and, and the Christian faith in solitude. I just pray that they're encouraged to move this morning to start to open up their hearts and lives to others. God, I pray for all of us as brothers and sisters in Christ that you continue to show us how to love each other well, how to serve each other well, how to see those in our community like you see those in our community. Continue to help us be that man or that woman who sees others and has compassion on them and goes to them and tells them the truth. Lord, let us continue to encourage each other in that journey. Lord, we thank you that you're the kind of God that will leave 99 to go to the one. Let us continue to follow that example with each other and with those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. At this time, I want to invite you to stand as we worship together.